Coming up on this episode of the Average Sean podcast, we talk a little bit about NFL cuts, uh, one in particular up in New England, and then we dive into week one with a bunch of games and picks. Got a full slate ahead of us. We've also got a new contributor to the team. His name is Adam Vorce. He's done his own podcast before, also known as Divorce Force Podcast. That is D-A-V-O-R-C-E, Force Podcast. Uh, Adam and I grew up together. We went to elementary and middle school together. Ended up going to separate high schools thanks to just being in two different school districts, of course. Uh, but he joins us along with uh, myself and Chris as always. So you know, you'll get a chance to hear his thoughts and feelings on the games coming up. And uh, we'll see if it's something where schedules work out where he can join us consistently in the future. So with that, let's go. All right, it is the Average Sean podcast. Uh, as I mentioned in the opening, we've got a new contributor to the team today. We've got Adam along with Chris, who's been here before. Adam, say what's up to the people. What's going on, everybody? Excited to be a part of the show. And uh, yeah, appreciate Sean for having me. It's uh, great to be a part of the journey. Excellent, excellent. Chris, how was the weekend? It was swell, as always. It's the word, always the word of the week. <laughs> well you know what swell is your choice of word i use relaxing for mine uh all right so let's jump right into it no time to waste nfl cut day was today and the big news of the day uh that came out is cam newton was released from the patriots uh so guys initial thoughts right off the bat what you got yeah so um i was a bit uh surprised uh to hear that the past moved uh, forward uh, without Cam Newton. However, Mac Jones is a phenomenal player. And I think, you know, I think we all were enamored with Cam Newton trying to make his return to the field, you know, his return to the old Cam that we used to see. And, you know, give credit to, to Jones. I mean, he earned it. And obviously with Cam Newton being the veteran that he was, you know, it's unfortunate that he won't get an opportunity uh, with the Pats, but maybe he'll get an opportunity elsewhere. But I think, you know, with Cam Newton, I think we all wanted to see him kind of get re-energized with the Patriots. Uh, however, it just wasn't meant to be. And uh, give credit to Jones because he earned that job and uh, the Patriots are going to move forward with him. And, uh, you know, you know, Bill Belichick, uh is a great head coach. So I don't question his uh, decision-making and uh, think he made the right choice. Yeah. I mean, I I think the most surprising thing is that obviously Jones pegged to be QB one, but Bill went with Brian Hoyer and Stidham over camp. And I know that there was a little bit of a COVID flare-up, a possible breach of conduct on Cam's part. And so I have to wonder if this was more of the situation where the Patriots were really fed up with that, uh, especially considering last year where he missed time because of that, along with injuries. So I, part of me wonders if this was a situation where they sat down and said, hey, we're actually going to go with uh, Jones over you. And Cam didn't doesn't want to be a backup, right? I mean, he's a, he's a personality and I would imagine it would be pretty hard for him to just sit there on the bench silently. Um, so 
they mutually probably decided to, to, to move on from him. That's my guess. Um, I would throw this question out to you guys. Where do you see him going? I know DC obviously seems like a, a good spot because of Rivera. Uh, but at the same time, you know, with COVID issues surrounding him, Rivera has been very vocal that he doesn't want any of that BS. So would that sway Rivera away from Cam? Are they content with Heineke and obviously presumed starter Fitzgerald? Uh, sorry, Fitzpatrick, not Fitzgerald. Um, so what do you guys think all that, about that? So I'll jump in on that one first. Um, at first, thoughts on him getting out of New England. I am dead set in my belief that you know uh, Cam Newton was let go because of the COVID issue because Bill Belichick just does not have time for anybody's nonsense when it comes to football. When it's not football season, you've seen him in public a few times. He's a little bit more relaxed, um, you know, not as intense. But when it comes to football season, the man is like all business all the time. The whole reason why he and Tom Brady made it work for so long was like even after a while when you could tell they weren't getting along, Brady was all about the business. He walks in uh, the same as he leaves every day. And then the next day he comes in, he's still the same person. So, you know, it's. It's one of those things where I look at it and go, okay, well, Newton's a little too much of a wild card for, for what they're looking for. And from what I understand, they were pretty close to each other in terms of how they looked uh, in the preseason. And in that case, you know, it makes sense for New England to pick the younger, less expensive, uh, at least in the long run, because it's not like Newton is that expensive right now. But the younger, uh, higher ceiling guy who's still got, you know, multiple years ahead of him. And like you said, Chris, it might have been a little bit mutual, but I get the feeling that COVID was the breaking point. And Belichick was probably sitting there in his office going, you know, thanks for making this easy on me, buddy. I mean, never easy to cut someone, but compared to what it's normally like, this is easy. Uh, as a Washington fan, the only one on this podcast, uh, I will say that I am begging everyone in Landover to not sign him. Uh, and I don't think they will. You know, Rivera's really mad at anybody on his team right now who hasn't gotten the vaccination. He's gotten real vocal about that sort of thing, especially with him being immunocompromised. And Rivera is also the kind of person who, if, if, you know, you were to tell him something like life related is going on that might usurp the importance of football, unlike Bill Belichick. I think that Rivera would actually kind of bring that. I think he's a little bit more like Bruce Arians in that sense, where he's like, hey, take care of your life. Where, the, you know, it's it's kind of almost infamous at this point that Bruce Arians is like, hey, if you miss anything for your children because of football, I'll cut you. And I feel like Rivera is a little bit more on that side than the Belichickian side, where, like I said, it's, it's all business all the time during football season. Uh, so I think that he'll end up landing somewhere else in the league. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not entirely sure where that is, because my initial thought is to think that he'll go somewhere where he might have like some familiarity with the coaching staff that he had in Carolina. And truthfully right now, I just don't know where that is. And knowing how small the market was for him before, I really don't think he's going to have that, that robust of a market now, especially with all this drama going on. Yeah, I could, um, one option, uh, could be Houston, uh, depending on what happens with Deshaun Watson, uh, he could land in, and Houston now, if you know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun. Uh, however, you know the Texans don't know. They don't know, and they have said they're 
they want to stick by Deshaun Watson and things like that. But you got to prepare. You have to prepare for the unknown. And for a team like Houston, where you're in a division that's pretty much up for grabs, when you're only competing really this year against the Tennessee Titans, I, I mean, that, that would be a no-brainer because then Camp could go to Houston and be a potential starter, and he really wouldn't have any other competition to compete with. And then, you know, I mean, Tennessee is always stacked. Indy so-so, and I don't – I'm a Jaguars fan, yes, but I don't see them in year one with Trevor Lawrence making a strong playoff push. So if Houston is serious about competing with Tennessee or Indy, I would be calling the – I would be calling uh, Cam and seeing if he's interested coming down to Houston for sure. I want to agree with that. And Chris, I'll let you go in a second. I know I just cut you <laughs> off, but I, I had to jump on this. A couple of quick things. One, does, knowing that Deshaun's got all this drama around him, does Houston really want to bring in another quarterback that's got more drama? I mean, the, the McNair family doesn't strike me as the type of family that's really that concerned with COVID-related issues. But you've already got enough, uh, you know, negative publicity around you. Do you want to have that happen again, especially for a quarterback that is, you know, older? I mean, he's older than Deshaun Watson. So, you know, at that point, you bring in more drama. You bring in a quarterback who just by age is more likely to break down. And then the talent there down there in Houston is really bad. So if you're Cam, what's your reason for going down there other than signing and getting some money without state income tax? So I like Chris, like I said, sorry for cutting you off, but I just, I had to get those thoughts out. No, I'm going to piggyback off of both of you and uh, agree. I don't know what his motive would be to go to Houston, but how about Indy? I know there's, there's kind of a, there's a lot of baggage that comes with cam, right? Even pre Patriots era, but Wentz had surgery this off season is currently on the COVID list. Ellinger's hurt, so they literally have Jacob Eason to start if Wentz is not able to go. Would they look at possibly going with someone like Cam? I don't think he really fits their scheme. And I know that the Colts are a very no-nonsense type of organization, so I would rule that out uh, because of that. Um, or would they go with someone, and I'm not, I know we're not rambling this entire time about NFL stuff, but uh, or would they go with a seasoned vet like Flacco who does fit more of that drop back and uh, you know pocket passer type of thing just some some ideas to throw out there yeah it's an interesting conversation and I mean if if uh he comes down to Indy that would be interesting as you mentioned Carson Wentz too there I mean the the quarterback situation Indy I mean they haven't figured it out since Peyton Manning uh you know I feel sorry for for them and it's tough I mean you know, that franchise quarterback is hard to find. I hope, I really hope that uh, the Jaguars have found their franchise guy in Trevor Lawrence. Um, and it's hard to find. And like a guy like Cam Newton, who's older, you know, like Sean said, it's, it's going to be a slim market. And it's going to, he's going to have to be very strategic and it's going to have to be, you know, some changes as well. Uh, maybe not like the Patriot changes, but he's going to be, have to be mature and see, you know, he's going to have to make some strides to really determine where he wants to go. And if he can make strides, 
become a viable starter heading into the season for, for an organization. So I initially I wasn't sure about it. And then you started to convince me, Chris, and then I kind of went back to not being so sure about it. And what, what started to convince me was, you know, what, uh, Wentz is out, Ellinger's out. So they need somebody there. And if Eason is your only starter, Newton could walk in the door and start. There's no question about that. I was also starting to get convinced by the thought of, you know, Indy could really just pound the rock this season because they've got the offensive line. They've got the running backs to do so. And really, you could take a lot of the onus off of Newton, especially as he gets used to the playbook. But I come back to the COVID issue where, you know, Wentz just went on the list after initially being predicted to being out for what was it like two to six uh, weeks of the season, give or take. And now all of a sudden he's out again because of COVID. I can't imagine that Frank Reich, who is pretty no nonsense, as we've already said, is going to be willing to, you know, take on that risk. And I just, it's, it's almost a wonder of, you know, take a look at any team who's had a major player affected by that COVID list. And I just don't see that team wanting to sign him because uh, unless he gets vaccinated, if he gets vaccinated, shows proof of vaccination, that's a different story because the NFL has made it very, very clear. They're going to make your life a living hell unless you're vaccinated. And with all this drama, if he shows like, hey, I got vaccinated, I learned my lesson, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even if he still doesn't really believe in all of it, at least he did it. And then I could see more doors opening up for him. But it's really hard for me to see a market for him right now, especially since we all know that he does not have the mindset to be a backup quarterback. So we're going to wrap up the NFL talk on that one. And let's move into why we're really here. Because NFL games aren't aren't starting yet. So for some reason, they decided to take Labor Day weekend off. I don't understand why, but they decided they're not going to play this weekend. They're going to make us wait two weeks from the last preseason games to start off their season. So instead, week one of college football is here, baby. Let's dive into it. We're going to do some more games now that we've got a full schedule ahead of us. And boys, I cannot lie. I am extremely excited that we have Thursday football because that gives me something to watch this week. Otherwise I was going to be stuck to, you know, Netflix or finding something on HBO max. Uh, But we're kicking it off with a big, big conference matchup. Take what Chris and I were talking about last week with Illinois and Nebraska. It was cool having two marginal at best big 10 teams kick off the season so they could get some shine. But now the big boys are here to play and we're kicking it off with Ohio state and Minnesota. So kind of like the Newton thoughts, boys, tell me your thoughts. Well, hey, Illinois, man, let's give kudos to them for uh, knocking off Nebraska, the Cornhuskers. Uh, that's like a great matchup. And, uh, yeah, excited for week one. Um, you know, it's great to see. I'm, I'm excited for, you know, for the week one officially is here. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, dive into we got Ohio State. In Minnesota, and let's be honest, I don't think, I don't think Minnesota has has a chance to beat Ohio State. Um, uh, you know, that's going to be a great matchup. Ohio, OSU is coming off an uh, interesting year where they only played. You know, they had a shortened season. Uh, obviously, with the Big Ten, um, you know, last year where the pandemic was strong, you know, they had a shortened season. They only played a certain amount of games. So this year. 
hopefully let's all you know cross our fingers that there's no issues with college athletes there's no issues on college campuses with COVID and everybody stays safe and everybody can play the same amount of games um because this year there will be no uh there will be no uh chance to uh play make up a game um if there's any issues with COVID uh they just forfeit that game and you can't make it up uh unlike last year so let you know I think Ohio State they got a strong team this year I know they lost you know a few to the draft but you know they're coming in strong and I don't think you know week one they're they're gonna uh come in with a loss so uh, I'd say Ohio State week one for sure all right I'm gonna go opposite of that picking Minnesota with the upset here let me love before we we all roll roll your eyes at Chris let's go with this so Minnesota dealt with a ton of COVID issues last year they dealt with a ton of opt-outs. Some players, Rashad Bateman most notably, said they were going to play, then opted out right before the season. Um, and then on top of that, because of that, they were not able to really get any momentum going, especially when it came to practices. Ohio State, obviously, skill-wise, above and beyond Minnesota. I'll give them that. Ohio State also plays Oregon, so pop, most likely a top 10 matchup right there, I would say, um, the following week. So you're taking a team on the road with a full stadium, presumably in Minnesota, I would imagine. So for a Thursday game, possible trap game to start the season. And you have a freshman quarterback, CJ Stroud, starting for the first time ever for Ohio state. With that all being said, the Gophers return Tanner Morgan wasn't great last year. Didn't have a ton to work with because a lot of his studs had opted out. He's back. He's more experienced. Uh, their running back, Muhammad Ibrahim, is a stud. Definitely going first or second round as long as he can stay healthy. Um, and Ohio State just had like a lot of odd, I don't want to say controversy, but odd uh, auras surrounding the team. Uh, obviously, their quarterback room is, is largely discussed uh, on, on the national scale. Um, and it's going to, you know, day Ryan day, their coach is going to be questioned a lot. If CJ Stroud does struggle. Um, and once again, I, I think Ohio state, uh, outskills them on basically every position, but I'm, I'm expecting Ohio state to have a slow start, um, on the road on a Thursday, looking ahead a little bit and, uh, I'm going Minnesota. All right. So a few thoughts, uh, one, I'm glad that we already have some, you know, disagreement among us because it's it's never fun when everybody agrees on the same thing uh but there's there's a few things that kind of really factored into into my thinking about this game i've had situations in the past where you know i hear oh ohio state they've lost so much talent from the year before this is you know really a year where they can get got and somebody can you know sneak up on them take them out and this does feel like the game that most people would be feel like they're primed to get knocked out without people expecting it. I've done, I've seen that movie before multiple times. I've been on the opposing side of it multiple times and I've been wrong every single time. So I'm staying with Ohio state until somebody proves me wrong. So let, let's just get out there right there. I've got Ohio state taking the game for no reason other than just, I am sick and tired of picking the team that is going against them and then watching them get smacked by like 40. So I do think that this game is going to be closer than that, significantly closer. But, you know, at the end of the day, not that close. 
few reasons why. C.J. Stroud, freshman quarterback, like you mentioned, Chris, it's going to be tough getting him out of the starting gates to get things going. But he does have a premier receiver in Chris Olave, which can make anything easier. And it's it's widely considered for Ohio State that they have one of the best receiving cores in the entire country. The backfield also has a ton of talent. Uh, I think the the main guy's name is like Master Teague or something like that, which is, first of all, an incredible name. I mean, you come out, you know, named Master Teague, you have to do something with that name. Otherwise, you are doing your name a disservice. So he's the main guy. But I've also heard that like the freshmen that they have coming in are even more talented than he's than he is. He's just the most experienced. So he's going to start off the season as the main guy. Now, flip to the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned Ibrahim from Minnesota. Yes, he's one of the best running backs in the country. And yes, Ohio State's defense has lost a lot of talent, but that talent's on the back end. Their strength this year is going to be their defensive line. So the linebackers, they, they might be able to pick up you know some slack for the guys who are left. They might not be the best. I'm not sure. But I do worry about how Minnesota's offensive line, whom I know nothing about, and how quality they are, especially, again, after a year of opt-outs if they'll be able to get the running game going enough, especially to open up some receivers who, other than Bateman from last year, their receiving group was considered largely pretty substandard. So as I mentioned, I've got Ohio State taking the game, but I am taking the under, which is currently set at 64, because I think with a slow start that it's going to be difficult for both teams to score enough points to get over that 64 hump. And But I do have Ohio State covering their 14-point spread. So like I said, it's going to be closer than 40, but in the end, not really that close. So just a quick recap on that one. Adam and I both have Ohio State. Chris is the oddball out. He's taking Minnesota. Uh, Next game up. This is also a Thursday night. We're going to go in chronological order here. Boise State versus UCF. So we've got a couple of group of five teams going here. Uh, Kind of a couple of group of five mainstays, really, if we're talking about it. Boise's been, you know, probably the most consistent name out of all the group of five schools, save for maybe BYU, but they're independent. So it's not like they're really in a conference that you could consider a group of five. So I don't know how to classify that, but you know, they're, they're the most consistent name ever since the statue of Liberty play against Oklahoma way back when. And then UCF, they've jumped on the scene a few years ago when Scott Frost was there, the, uh, the national championship that they won when they went like 13 and 0 but didn't get to a chance to play any of the top dogs. Um, they've got Gus Malzahn coming in as their head coach now. It, truthfully, I don't know much about Boise State. So, you know, guys, what you got? Yeah, um, and I just uh, got to get in O-H-I-O. My uncle will be very happy that I'm picking Ohio State in week one. Uh, I just got back from Florida, so uh, – He's a big Ohio State fan, so he'll be happy about that. And uh, so, yeah, just on the UCF-Boise State matchup, uh, UCF has really, really came out and had dominated games, you know, the last couple of years and then dominated their opponents. You know, I think, you know, Boise State, as Sean mentioned, you know, they've been consistent as well, but I definitely think UCF uh, is the stronger team, and I just think, you know, they can make them, they can be the, the dark horse, if you will, uh, and try to make a strong push towards the playoff. You know, last year, the year before, they missed out on that, um, which was unfortunate. But, 
they can definitely make a strong push if they continue to win, uh, continue to dominate, and try to get in the four-game playoff. Uh, so I definitely think they're the stronger team and will pull it out uh, against Boise State this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I'm picking uh, UCF as well. Um, and echoing exactly what you guys said, um, this is a huge game when it comes to, I don't know about so much the playoff, but I think more so just the New Year's Bowls, uh, you know, the, the top six bowls. Um, and I'm going with Gus Malzahn, proven winner, uh, you know, back from his time at, or- at or- uh, Oregon, geez, at Auburn, and um, going with UCF. All right, so a couple of things. While Adam was talking, I quickly looked this up. Uh, Boise State actually has a new head coach this year, and it's kind of a, a small world how all the dots seem to be connected in some ways. Boise State's old head coach just left Boise to take over the Auburn job, which is the job that Gus Malzahn was unceremoniously removed from. So, small world in a way, uh, but maybe a small revenge game for Malzahn? Take the Boise State guy, he leaves your program, and you're a little bit bitter that you couldn't keep him? I don't know. Uh, but truthfully, I'm going to take UCF solely on the fact that Boise State's put in a new system. Their head coach is an alumni, which can make recruiting and things like that a little bit easier. But your first year, especially for a smaller school like Boise, it, it's tough. Uh, and then you compare the sizes of the two schools. You know, UCF has like over 40,000 students on their on their campus. So and also they're in Orlando, which has got to make recruiting top end talent a little easier. And I'm just going to take them based on that. I really, truthfully, I don't think that Malzahn is a high-end coach. I think he is a good coach. So nothing to really brag about if, you're, if you go home with like your UCF and you're trying to hire him. Be like, oh, yeah, we got Gus Malzahn. No, it's like, okay, cool. We got Gus Malzahn. You know, that's, that's really all I've got on that because he just he was so underwhelming at Auburn and for some reason he kept going with Bo Nix and Bo Nix just really isn't that good. So I've got UCF. We're going to hit the trifecta on that one. So of course that means Boise state's going to win in a blowout. Uh, But I've got UCF also covering the five point spread. I'm going to take the under it's the first game of the season, new head coach for Boise. I don't think I, and also new coach for UCF, just a more established one nationally. I think that it's just, it's going to be choppy. I think it's going to be a very sloppy game. You know, it's going to be tough to get points. And I think towards the end, you you might flirt with hitting the over, but the over is set at 68 and a half. I mean, that's a lot of points. You're asking for both teams to get up in the 30s or one of them to really beat the doors off the other one. I just don't see it happening. And I don't really like taking the under, but... That's going to do or that's going to wrap up the Thursday games we're covering. Next up, we'll hit the Friday game, which is a huge, huge matchup in the ACC to start the season. You've got probably the prohibitive favorite to be the second team in the league because everyone's going to automatically assume Clemson's taking the ACC title again. But you've got North Carolina in the you know driver's seat to take second place in, in you know the, uh, the ACC. And then you've got Virginia Tech, a program that was – once really good and they're trying to return the prominence but frankly they've been a doormat the last few years so adam who do you got winning this one yeah so i got virginia tech uh coming off strong uh in this matchup and it's in 
Blacksburg. And for those who don't know, Virginia Tech is a hard place to play. I mean, especially being in the ACC, their fans come out. Uh, stadium's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. I really don't see them losing their home opener. And uh, Sean, I know you mentioned they haven't performed well the last couple of seasons. But, you know, to come out first game of the year at home, you know, with the strong crowd, I think for sure they have, you know, a great opportunity to to win the game. And I think they have the talent to do so. Uh, and I know a lot of people were favoring North Carolina in this game. However, you know, Virginia Tech at home, I just I can't go against that. And uh, I'm definitely picking V Tech in this one. So I'm going to go the polar opposite of that. And I'm going to say Sam Howell is a stud uh, already in Heisman conversation. Um, and I can't go against that. I know VT is a horror to play, especially since it's a Friday night game. Uh, UNC also has Mac Brown, who has honestly rejuvenated that entire program. Um, you see he's got videos of him uh, wearing different Jordan uh, swag. He's doing dances in the locker room. He's, you know, He's he's bringing some spunk for an old man. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Heisman. Uh, I don't want to say favorite, but I mean, he's definitely in that conversation um, and uh, side with UCN, uh, UCN, UNC. I am all over the place today. UNC going with North Carolina. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I will forgive you for that because I mean, who of us isn't dyslexic at the worst possible times? Uh, but I'm, I'm with you on the North Carolina train. Uh, I do have Virginia tech covering the six and a half spread, uh, mostly because as Adam said, they're playing in Blacksburg and college campuses are, are known for being in the, in the middle of absolute nowhere, but Virginia tech is truly in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And the people who live there, that's, that's like all they got, except for, I think like Knoxville in Tennessee, isn't too terribly far away. So maybe you've got some volunteer fans around there, but Virginia Tech really is it's your only game in town, which is will explain why the crowd is so abnormally good, especially for a program that's kind of fallen off in the past few years. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, if that's all you got, then get excited, go, go nuts. And they're going to. And I feel like that does play a factor in this, especially once again, we're talking the first game of the season after a COVID year. Even if the teams did play last year, it's still weird. So I've got the under, which is, you know, the, the line's currently set at 64 uh, in the hook. But again, not, I don't see an offensive, offensive explosion coming out of either side. Even when Mac Brown was at his best with Vince Young in Texas, they were putting up points, but it wasn't an overabundance of them. And also his defenses were usually pretty stout. So Taking Carolina to win the game, I'd imagine the defense also can put the clamps on early and keep Virginia Tech from putting some points up. So give me the under, but give me Virginia Tech to keep it tight because of the uh, the home crowd. And also, I've got a few close friends who I know where their eyeballs will be Friday night and not to text them during that time. So I'm going to say it's a close game, mainly so that way they can stay entertained. Um, but I, to your point about the Heisman, Chris, uh, I think Spencer Rattler is probably in the lead than in Oklahoma, but I also think that Oklahoma's offense is just better set up for him to have a crazy year. But that's a conversation for another time. 
on to Saturday, where we have a ton of games. Thank goodness. Uh, of course, I won't be able to watch most of them. I will be down in College Park tailgating for the Maryland-West Virginia game. But sweet, I get to tailgate. Uh, so the probably the best matchup, one of the best matchups, eh, one of the best. I'll say that Georgia Clemson's the best. But we've got Wisconsin against Penn State uh, coming up against each other in the 12 o'clock window. And, boys, Penn State needs a bounce back here. I mean, I just mentioned Maryland. Penn State got waxed by Maryland last year. And while I do think that Coach Loxley has the Terps heading in, in a better direction, you're Penn State. You, should, you have no business getting waxed by Maryland. So they need a bounce back here in the worst way. And going up against Wisconsin is an absolute daunting task to start your year, especially because I believe they're playing at Camp Randall which, as we, as we talked about with Virginia Tech, the crowd in Wisconsin, ooh, baby. I mean, they were the first stadium to introduce breathalyzers at the gate because of how crazy people were getting. So, Adam, what, what you got here? Yeah, so I'm going to go out on one here, and I'm going to take uh, Penn State. And uh, the main reason, you know, they a bounce back here, they, you know, obviously Wisconsin, there's no uh, pushover by any means. Uh, however, I just think that, you know, Penn State needs to start off strong and they need a key win early on the season if they really want to make uh, a push to for the Big Ten championship or even if they want to, you know, compete against the Ohio States of the Big Ten. Uh, so I think coming out strong right out of the gates, uh, they need to have a big win. And of course, it's, I don't think it's going to be uh, a blow up by any means. It's definitely going to be a close game, especially on the road. Uh, but if they make a couple of key plays and, and some key def- defensive stops there, I definitely think they can have the game. And, uh, you know, I'm taking Penn State there. I'm going with the home crowd going Wisconsin. Um, so, I mean, the, the Big Ten, I, obviously you have Ohio State, and then it's kind of like a mirage of other strong but uh, arguably elite teams. You, you know, I wouldn't really consider anyone in the elite category besides Ohio State. Um, but Penn State is definitely trying to get back there. They started last year 0-5, got absolutely whooped by a handful of teams. Um, Wisconsin's defense is stout. Uh, so they held all of their opponents under 240 yards passing in every game last year. Um, partner that with the fact that Sean Clifford for Penn state was a turnover machine. Wisconsin has their arguably best quarterback since Russell Wilson and Graham Mertz, um, kind of a, their best all around quarterback. Wisconsin is notable for uh, the guy, the pocket passer that can drop back and uh, 15, 16 times a game and just drop a few dimes in there and just pound the living snot out of the ball. While that's still their identity and always will be with a stout offensive line. um, I still think that Graham Mertz is going to put up some points. um, And with the home field advantage, I'm going Wisconsin. All right. So real quick, uh, Chris, I feel like saying Wisconsin and defense is stout is a bit redundant. I feel like you could just say Wisconsin. Everyone can just assume that defense is stout because other than I think a few years ago when Ohio State just boat raced them, that defense is always good. I mean, them, them in Iowa in particular, they're always known for putting out linemen on both offense and defense. 
And if you can control the trenches, you can control the game. So I feel like that's going to be huge for them. Uh, I was hoping you might have let me make the point about Graham Mertz, uh, but you kind of stole that from me. So I'm, I'm a bit jealous that I let you go before me. But, you know, he was a five-star recruit, which Wisconsin never gets. And last year, his season was shortened due to COVID. You got to imagine that he is so mad about that. You know, he comes in, he's supposed to start. Yes, he gets the extra year of eligibility from the NCAA, but he started and he looked like an absolute stud when he was in. So, you know, there's no reason to believe that he's not going to come in and do the exact same thing. You know, even though Wisconsin, they're always known as like a ground and pound kind of team. You give him a chance to open it up and all of a sudden you've got a Wisconsin that you've never seen before. So especially for Penn State, as you mentioned, Sean Clifford, not the best. He was also the starting QB during the aforementioned dusting by University of Maryland. Go Terps. Uh, but I just don't trust him. And I'm starting to wonder if I trust James Franklin, too, because how many years has he been at Penn State? And he really hasn't gotten over the hump of making Penn State a true top tier program, which is the expectations that Penn State has. And deservedly so. I mean, they've been historically a fantastic program and there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to bring in the talent to continue that. But he hasn't gotten there and I don't think he's got the squad to do it this year. I think that Wisconsin, you know, takes them pretty easily. It's a Big Ten game. The line is set at 15 and a half. And I do think that Big Ten is known for low scoring games. Nebraska and Illinois started getting a little frisky with the over-under last week, but you know, with this game, I'm definitely hitting the under. I've got Wisconsin beating them by, you know, at least six. So they're going to cover the five and a half spread. And frankly, how could I not pick the team that I affectionately refer to as Wisco Disco? So that that's that one. Now, here's a surprise because I was looking up all the lines and everything for the games. I did not realize that. Oregon and Fresno State are playing at two o'clock Eastern. So that means they're playing at 11 o'clock local. So that actually changed up a few different thought processes for me in my mind. But Adam, I'm going to jump back to you. You've got, you know, the Ducks coming in. Fresno's already got a game under their belt, albeit it was basically a glorified practice against UConn. What you got for me? Um, I'm actually going to defer to you, see what you think. All right. I was kind of hoping that you wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, so truthfully, I, I was thinking that Fresno was going to keep this game close if it was going to be played at like a normal time or like a typical Pac-12 after dark kind of game, just because they have that game under their belt. Uh, they did start a little slow against UConn, but Oregon is not really the Oregon of past where they're not, you know, the, the smash and dash sort of team where they just will run all over you. Mario Cristobal has got them as, you know, a little bit more stout, a little bit more built up. I mean, you don't put a, a behemoth like Panay Sewell in the NFL if you're, you know, running that sort of run and gun sort of offense that you were doing under Chip Kelly, mainly because I don't think he would ever let his guys get that big. But I'm taking Oregon. I'm going to take Fresno to cover the spread, though, because the spread is still at 20 and a half. And I think what's going to happen is the early start time, these guys are going to be yawning their way through the first quarter, and then they'll finally start to wake up. At first, it's going to look like it's going to be a defensive struggle, but Fresno almost messed around and covered the over last week by themselves if they had kept their starters in the game. So I feel like they can put up some points. And Oregon, while they are becoming a more stout team, 
has never been known for having the best defenses in the world. So I feel like eventually once the teams perk up, you're going to start seeing points all over the board. So I'm taking the over 64 on this one. Uh, but Oregon's definitely going to come away with a W just because they're simply more talented and they're just going to overmatch Fresno. Chris, what do you got? I'm going with Oregon as well. Um, I'm going to go with it being a bit f- more lopsided than, than what you're saying. Um, obviously, Fresno whooped UConn last week, um, but this is a different defense. You know, you, you mentioned Cristobal has this Oregon team in a totally different place than Chip Kelly did uh, back in the day. Um, they are more of a, a, a you know, smash, smash mouth type of uh, game compared to the spread and, and hurry up offense that Chip Kelly was running. Um, and they're, they've got some studs on defense, um, obviously some big names um, that we'll hear more towards the spring with the draft. But Tybo uh, is an absolute stud. And he's going to make Hayner's life miserable for Fresno. Um, and then you got uh, Sewell, who's a linebacker. Um, I'm assuming some some relation to Penny Sewell there. Um, he's Sewell's younger brother. Younger brother. So there you go. So they're the, the, they've got some NFL blood there. And then um, some they've got two two guys in their secondary, um, Michael Wright, and then Verone McKinley, um, who are all going to be talked about next spring, guaranteed. Um, they were all great last year. Um, the one question mark I do have about Oregon is they have a new quarterback and uh, Anthony Brown, who I believe has not started a college game. Um, so that will be interesting, but I'm expecting a bit of a blowout here with Oregon coming out on top. Yeah, uh, I love that. And uh, so I'm definitely going to go with Oregon as well uh, to complete the trifecta. Uh, obviously, just to put it in perspective, uh, Fresno State is zero and seven against Oregon in the last s- seven meetings. Uh, so Oregon continues to dominance all the time. Oregon is seven and two, uh, but they have won the last seven against Fresno. Uh, so I don't see any uh, let up and they continue the dominance uh, against Fresno State. Obviously, um, you know, I don't see why they wouldn't win. And obviously, uh, Sean and Chris, you, uh, you know, got it as well. So uh, complete the trifecta and go Ducks. <laughs> so, of course, as I mentioned earlier, that means that Fresno is going to win in the blowout, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we've got, you know, Oregon quacking their way home back to their dorms after that one. Fresno will go home one and one. Seems pretty like a logical pick there. The next game I feel like a lot of people are going to trip themselves up and overthink this one. We've got Alabama against Miami. This one, you know, always seems like it's a, it's kind of a simple thing to me. Everyone's always asking the question, are the hurricanes back? It's the second, you know, are they back right behind is Texas back? And truthfully, the hurricanes, as far as I know, not back yet, especially not against Nick Saban. I've been hearing a lot of great things about De'Ara King to start the season. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump in with my pick on this one. Roll Tide, baby. Because even if De'Ara King's doing well, and I mean really well, he's still not going to be able to overcome Alabama. And yes, I know Alabama is replacing talent left and right. I mean, on both sides of the ball. They've got to replace, as usual, some offensive linemen, their quarterback, but they've also got to replace a running back. And they normally just have a stable of them going. But who's going to be your next Najee Harris? 
is he going to be as good as him? I don't know. And, and frankly, I don't think so, especially not in the first game of the season. Not to mention, they lost like all but one of their wide receivers who was used consistently last year. Meacham's the only one returning. And then you've got the defense who, you know, there's, there's a ton of turnover there too, but there's always a ton of turnover there. So the reason why I say this is, you know, what I consider an overthink game is a lot of people in the public are probably going to go, this is Miami's chance. They're playing at a neutral site. Saban's going to roll over so much of his roster. He's not going to have them ready. But here's the thing, guys. You're the first game on Saban's schedule, which means he's had nothing but time to think about you. It's not like he's had to, you know, focus on you after playing another team. So he's only had a week to prepare for you. Oh, no, you're game number one on the schedule, which means you get his full and undivided attention. Especially when, you know, the city of Miami, he's probably still a little bit bitter about how things went with the Dolphins. And, it was, and it's been years, but it's Nick Saban. He seems to know how to hold on to a grudge. He's going to come back and the man always seems like he has something to prove. So frankly, I've got the under just because I think that Miami will show some, some promise. But again, they are officially not back. And this seems like the kind of game where a lot of people are predicting that they could pull off the upset. I've got them covering an eight-point spread, but frankly, that's just because they'll, they'll like backdoor cover it. This, to me, seems like a beat-em-down game. So, again, roll, damn, tie. Sean, I, <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Um, being someone that's very familiar with the SEC, uh, I mean, I'm not going to pick against Alabama right now. Uh, maybe when they play uh, – uh, a game later in the season, but uh, that'll, that'll be he, uh, more discussion later. Um, but not right now, uh, as you mentioned. And and give credit to Nick Saban. I mean, obviously, he's done a tremendous job of – it doesn't matter whether you go – you know, they lose a lot of players to draft. That's what Alabama is built for. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. They are built to lose players to the draft so that the next year – the players they have are going to produce the same numbers and then there'll be future uh, draft picks for teams in the NFL. Uh, so Nick Saban does it best. I mean, he's the Bill Belichick of college football. Nobody does it better than him. And as far as uh, just some numbers here, uh, Alabama is 14 and three and 17 head to head matchups against Miami and the last 10 matchups, Alabama is 10 and 0. Uh, so I think it's clear, just like Sean said, a lot of people might say, Hey, this is trap game. Not, not early in the season. Uh, maybe later when they play the Gators. Um, but not, not this early in the season and, um, Alabama's definitely going to win this game and they're going to, you know, maybe Miami will make it competitive, but I don't see Alabama losing this one at all. So as Sean said, we'll tie if we didn't know what your fandom was before, is it any less obvious now that you're a Gators <laughs> and a Jacksonville Jaguars fan? <laughs> oh man, you know, uh, I gotta represent, man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm originally for those who don't know, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida. So uh, that's why I've, you know, I've been a Jags fan since the team was got created, you know, in '95 and. Uh, you know, I was there, I was down in Jacksonville before that. And, and then just as Gators, you know, I lived in Jacksonville. So I had the pick of Miami 
FSU and the Gators. And I picked the Gators and it's been my team ever since. So that's a little bit of background there. Yeah. I'm also, I'm going to go with the trifecta here for, for Bama. Um, Nick Saban, you know, enough said. Um, anyone who has questions about Bryce Young, I mean, the kid's a stud. Like we can just say that right off the bat. The system will allow him to be a stud. Um, and I'll, I'll throw this out out there into the the ethers. Um, is Bama a new QBU? You know, they've got with the news today, Mac Jones, the starter in the NFL, Jalen Hurts, a former Alabama uh recruit you know got some playing time um and now and then Tua Tungavailoa all named NFL starters today so uh Bryce Young definitely fits in that equation um I think uh that King for Miami will definitely dazzle I think he's going to be moving around a ton I just don't see them putting up enough points to, to top Bama simple as that so in a quick response to your question uh the answer is no so QVU is, for now until proven otherwise is still Oklahoma because they've put in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Spentler Rattler is going to hit the NFL too. So if we're going to talk a power five team, that's QB or QBU. Cause you know, of course there can only be one and all the fan bases are going to argue that there, there can only be one right now it's Oklahoma and it ain't even close. So something Lincoln Riley's put something in the water there after Bob Stoops, continuously was putting disappointment after disappointment into the NFL QB Lincoln Riley just somehow is just like, Hey, come here. And I'm going to make you way better than you're supposed to be. So in answer to your question, no, moving on though, we're going to move from that game, which I think is actually going to be a little bit more fun than, than I may have made it out to be to a game that I think unless you're really into defensive struggles and like true knockdown, drag them out, slugfest sort of games, this may not be for you. But this is going to be a huge game with huge implications for the remainder of the season because Indiana is becoming a quick public favorite. And a lot of people have billed them as the team that could dethrone Ohio State if there was a team to dethrone Ohio State. But if they lose this game to Iowa in week one, your season for what their expectations have suddenly become almost go down the tank. So Indiana and Iowa, the reason why we picked this game is because this has more implications than people think. If Indiana pulls this game out, that's huge for them. I mean, going to Iowa and winning there, it's so difficult to do no matter who you are. Even if you're Ohio state, it's one of the most difficult places to play in the entire country. And frankly, they also have one of the coolest traditions there where they have the, uh, the Iowa children's hospital, you know, all the fans will like raise their flashlights and do it to them. Maybe it's just a little superstition or something like that, but I feel like that does something, you know, it, it adds to the atmosphere. It, it adds to the purpose of why everyone's playing. It's a little bit harder to bring that with you while you're on the road, but Adam, who, who you got in this game? Yeah. So I'm going to go with Iowa and just, uh, as you mentioned, it's definitely, um, a hard place to play and like, I mean, the Iowa has been dominating uh, for a little while now. And, you know, as far as just some numbers here, Iowa is 45 and 28 and four all time and against Indiana. And Indiana in the last um, eight matchups is one and seven. So I don't see Iowa 
letting up here. And the Hawkeyes, man, they produce some good teams, good players. Uh, I don't, I don't see them letting up at all here in, um, you know, against Indiana. Uh, I definitely going to take them to win for sure. So I'm going the opposite of that. I'm going with. Uh, oh wait, did you just say Indiana or Iowa? I said Iowa. Okay, yeah, I'm going opposite. I'm, I'm going with Indiana. Um, obviously. Hoosiers have been in the basement of the Big Ten for a long time. Last year, we got to see some rejuvenation with that, um, with with Tom Allen, um, and he's definitely sparked some uh, family mantra going on with it within that locker room. Um, just watch any of his press conferences, and you'll you'll get that vibe instantly. Um, the big wild card in this game, and I do think it, as Sean mentioned, it has huge implications. Um, I don't know about either of these teams truly pushing Ohio State. But they're definitely like solid programs at this point. Um, I think the the big wild card with this is uh, if Indiana's quarterback Penix returns to the form that we saw last year. Um, he's a he's a good quarterback. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Look up some of his highlights from last year. Um, he was on fire. He got hurt. He's a mobile guy. Um, let's see if he can return to the form that we saw from last year. Um, Iowa's defense is difficult, though. Obviously, it kind of goes back. Iowa and Wisconsin, man, those those lines, just the the defense, the trenches. That's you know that's their bread and butter. Um, I think it's going to be close, but I, I know if if Penix is healthy, Iowa's defense is built to to play that more pro style smash you know smash mouth football. Deal with that. If Penix is healthy and full, you know, one hundred percent, they're going to be looking to spread the field and make, get them moving. So I'm going, it's going to be a close game, but I'm going Indiana. All right. looks like I'm the tiebreaker here. Uh, and I am going to go with Iowa. Why am I going with Iowa? Because Iowa's playing at home. If it, if this game were in Indiana, I'd probably be taking Indiana because Iowa is like a perennial nine and four team where they're really good, but they've always got a couple games where just when you think they're going to get over the hump, they remind you that they're Iowa and that it's just not going to happen. So if we're talking about any university that's like position group U, let's be real here. Right now, Iowa is definitely tight end U. So I feel like they're going to have another stud there whose name I probably won't know because it's Iowa and they're like never the most like nationally prominent school in terms of tight ends. But, you know, they produce George Kittle and TJ Hawkinson. And I feel like Hawkinson's probably going to have a breakout year in Detroit because who else does Jared Goff have to throw to? So They've got a tight end who could probably break the game open and breaking the game open means you're winning by three because this is the kind of game that, like I mentioned earlier, it's going to be low scoring. The line is set at 45, which is demonstrably low for college football, but I'm still hitting that under because this is the game that is just primed to be boring. So I've got Iowa winning, but I've got Indiana keeping it close. Uh, They're going to cover that three and a half point spread. So Iowa with W, Indiana to cover. And Indiana better not break out those god-awful camo uniforms that they had last year because those were easily the worst in college football. And if I see that they're wearing those uniforms, I'm immediately changing my pick, and Iowa's going to win by like 80 just because I can't stand those jerseys. So that's that game. Now, next one we've got on the docket, to me – I don't know about you guys, but this one has some real intrigue behind it. 
And we me- I mentioned earlier that Miami is usually the, the number two team that people always ask, are they back? Well, now we're moving on to the number one, are they back school? So is Texas back? They've got a game that historically you would think that Texas would literally just walk in, roll their helmets out and say, hi, we're Texas. Take this L. Um, but Louisiana Lafayette, they're a top 25 team this year. They've got a ton of returning talent. And I'm going to jump in and mention this because I'm afraid one of you guys will, and I don't want this point taken from me. But with the COVID year, a lot of Power 5 teams, they're not putting a lot of talent into the NFL, where even though Texas, you know, they may not be the Texas of old, they're still going to put talent in the NFL. And they've got to replace Sam Ellinger, who felt like he was there for like, I don't know, 15 years as their starting quarterback. Texas has a lot of turnover and Louisiana has a lot of continuity coming into this year, which I think is going to play a major factor. Adam, what say you? Yeah, I'm taking Texas in this one. And uh, Texas may not be uh, back just yet, but they're definitely not going to roll over week one. I mean, obviously um, this can be a trap game, uh, obviously, and uh, nothing taken away from their opponent, but, I don't see Texas losing week one. Uh, I've got to jump in right there. And I just, I have to ask this question because I hear people say this all the time. Is it, is it just because Texas is the name brand that we're calling this a trap game because Louisiana is ranked in the top 25. How, how can this be a trap game if you're playing a top 25 team? And and I'm not saying this to put you in the corner. I'm just saying that because like, I, I don't understand they haven't been nationally relevant. But no, I, I say any trap game is like, you, you know, most of the, I mean, it's great that we had these great matchups and I love it. But most of the time you get, I mean, it used to be where you had every, every team played not those well-known schools and even a softer first half and until they got to the conference schedule. So the reason I say a trap game and I use quotation marks is because it's the first game of the year and they may not be, you know, taking or preparing for it. Like it's a, a you know, a conference game and the, you know, everybody looks to Appalachian state, you know, how they upset Michigan. Um, there's always going to be one of those, but uh, you know, it, that's where it could be a trap game. But I use that term lightly. Uh, because it used to be where a lot of teams stacked their schedule where, you know, first couple of weeks they played a lighter schedule and not their conference teams. But that's the only reason why I say that. It's not because it's Texas. It's just historically college football teams have played a lighter schedule uh, in the first couple of weeks. So that's just based on uh, history. Okay. And, and that reasoning I'll accept, but I'm going to put this out Good. there. <laughs> look, look, Hey, here's the thing. I may accept your reasoning, but you're still wrong. So, you know, this isn't a tap, uh, trap game for Texas. This is a trap game for Louisiana because how many, especially, and first and foremost, hopefully everybody down in Louisiana is okay, but you've got everything that's going on in the state of Louisiana. And some of those players probably have some like personal things that's affecting them in this. That's going to be tough for them to overcome. I mean, talk about, football obviously comes secondary to everything in life, but if we're talking just in the vacuum of football, talk about one of the worst possible things that you could ever ask to happen prior to your season starting. But at the same time, 
maybe it's something that even get like galvanizes the team even more. So a little bit of devil's advocate there, but I think it plays a little bit more on the distraction side of, you know, your, your mind's going elsewhere, but again, they're nationally ranked and those players have got to be sitting there going, dude, it's Texas. How many times have we like been hearing, Oh, they're back. They're back. They're back. And then they always just flop on the ground. So like Louisiana is probably thinking that they're really not much to worry about, especially, you know, they, they may see the buzz around their name and think, you know, Oh, Hey, we're top 25. Like, you know, we're, we're really up there this year. So they could be already like in their own heads, getting their egos boosted before this game starts. So like I, I, again, accept your reasoning, but the trap game's on Louisiana. It's definitely not on Texas. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to side with that, that, that as well, Sean, um, I'm going Texas though. Um, I know Louisiana 10 win team last year. They've they're, they're basically bringing back the same team. Um, also side note, raging Cajuns. What a name, what a name. Um, one of the best mascots in all, <laughs> all of NCAA. Definitely. Um, I think the reason I'm going with, with Texas is one, um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about LSU in a little bit, but I kind of did a 50, 50 split with the, the whole Ida hurricane situation um, I see LSU has a lot of, a lot more recruiting outside the state. Louisiana has more recruiting in the state. Um, and so with that being said, I, you know, their practice schedules definitely been messed up this week without a doubt. Um, I think that the, the big wild card for this game is obviously Texas's quarterback, uh, you know, starter situation has been talked about, um, and definitely ramped up over the past few weeks. They officially went with Hudson card. Um, and I mean, if he, if he goes off, he could change. I don't want to say change the entire face of Texas football, but, um, I tend to think, you know, they don't have a lot of film on him. Um, new scheme as well with Sarkeesian in there. So new quarterback, new coach hurt, throw in the hurricane Ida situation. And I have Texas pulling off the win. All right. And Adam, I do owe you an apology for cutting you off and going on that little diatribe there, but. Uh, f- please f- finish your thoughts because I, I did I didn't I really didn't mean to cut you off there. Nah, now nah, all good. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, the reason I mean, I think it'll it's mainly a, a trap game uh, for Texas just because um, you know we'll see what happens with that. But uh, but yeah, no worries. <laughs> Let's go. All right. So in that instance, you know, Chris and Adam, you guys both have Texas. I know I mentioned Hurricane Ida as a distraction, but I feel like and people will notice later on that I'm going to be a little contradictory on this, but I swear I've got my reasoning for it. And you'll just have to listen to find out why. But I've got Louisiana taking this game. And the main reason why I'm going to you know, take them is they've got the continuity, both in players and in coaching staff. And with all the players who were returning, who could have, who would normally have left, you know, you've got that senior leadership that I think is going to keep that team together. Whereas Texas, who doesn't have these external factors to be worrying about, they've still got a new coaching staff coming in. Sarkeesian for Texas seems like a good hire, but, and I say this lightly because I don't want to make it seem like I'm making light of his past troubles but he has had some past personal issues and that was when he was a head coach so hopefully he's gotten to the point in his life where he is you know a lot more stabilized and that's not a concern 
But for me as a fan, I have to kind of see it before I'll believe that, you know, he's really got his own ship off the rocks and, and, you know, going for some smooth sailing before he can take the Longhorns along with them, especially when you're replacing your quarterback, especially when you're trying to fix the culture of Texas where they keep saying, oh, is Texas back? And then you continually disappoint. There's a lot that's going into that where you got to fix that. And I think that Louisiana, despite the craziness of Hurricane Ida, I feel like that team is going to you know, just be a little bit more stable because of everything that went on last year and how they're bringing that into this year. And I feel like they're, I'm going to take them to win the game, pull off the quote-unquote upset, uh, obviously, if you've listened, you don't think you'll know that I don't think it's an upset, but it's an upset because, you know, in terms of the lines, Texas is favored by seven in the hook. Obviously, if I've got Louisiana winning that, I've got them covering the spread. I will take the under, but that that's going to be factored in because of the Hurricane Ida, because of, you know, Texas trying to fix that culture. They're just not at the point where I think that either team is really going to be primed for an offensive explosion. So. Again, this one, I'm the oddball out, and I'm going to laugh my way all the way to the bank after Louisiana pulls off the upset Saturday. I might be a little bit distracted because, again, I'll be at the Maryland game, but I'll be checking the score, and you guys better believe I'll, if they win, I'll be in the group chat. So, Hook them horns, baby. Hook them horns. <laughs> nah, ho- horns down, baby. Give me that 15-yard penalty. Horns down. So. All right, now this next game, this is easily considered the marquee matchup of Saturday. It is Georgia against Clemson. I know earlier that I I said that Penn State and Wisconsin may have been the prime game, but that's because for a brief moment, I forgot this game existed. But Georgia and Clemson, a lot of question marks for both teams coming into this season. Clemson in particular having to replace Trevor Lawrence. They've already seen DJ, please, I hope I get this right, Ungalalele. Probably got that wrong. And if he ever hears this, I doubt he will. But if he ever hears this, I'm sorry, DJ. I didn't mean I like, I like the effort, though, man. I like the effort. Love hey, it. Hey, <laughs> you know what? At the very least, he's going to know that I tried. And it's not it's not his fault for having a, a you know trickier last name in the world. It's on me for not being able to know how to pronounce that. So yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and take the, the L on that one if I end up being wrong. But I, I'm damn sure going to try each time. Now, before either of you jump in on this one, I've got a little bit of a diatribe about this game that I'm going to kind of sidetrack on. And I just ha- I have to let this one loose. Please, for the love of all that is good in this world, stop putting these marquee matchups on neutral sites. I've already written a blog about it, and I'm <laughs> sure some people who have read it like may agree with me, may not. I don't care if you disagree with me. I am so sick of these you know, early regular season games. Again, I emphasize regular season games being played at like Atlanta, or in this case, they're playing in Charlotte. No. These games need to be played on the campus where these students are. And the reason why is because those students make the game. And college students are a notoriously broke group of people. So do you really think that a huge group of kids are going to be able to travel from Athens to Charlotte and then be able to afford tickets to the game? Doubtful. Same with going from Clemson to Charlotte. You really think those kids are going to be able to, you know, afford tickets to those games? No. They're probably either going to have to make the choice between either paying for the ticket or paying for the ride there. And either way, it just it does not add up to them being able to get into the game and enjoy it like they should be able to. So big time programs like this need to sack up, 
Stop playing these games on neutral sites and just do a home and home. Play this game at Clemson. And then next year, go play it at Georgia. Just do it. Because you want to know why? The atmosphere is going to be so much better. I don't like we see a bunch of, you know, adults at these games and the atmosphere may be good, but it's not the same as if you're going to get it in Death Valley or at. So just it blows my mind that they're this dumb about it. Put these games on the campuses. It's where they belong. Why are they doing this? So I digress on that point. I'll, I'll get to my points about the games later. But as you can tell, I'm not a fan. Adam, what you got? Yeah, I can uh, understand that. I mean, are they doing it? I mean, do you know? I mean, why are they doing it? Is it like anything to do with COVID or just just because they want a neutral site? The, the obvious answer is money, <laughs> as Chris is signaling in his stream. Yeah. Because the answer to everything always comes back to money. But I have to ask the question of how much money are you actually making on this? Because there is there are a lot of college football stadiums that are actually some of the biggest stadiums we have in this mm-hmm. country. So if you're going to take out at least half of your population in terms of people who could come in the stands, because again, I'm assuming the vast majority of students won't be able to make it to the game, then what what are you really getting out of it? I mean, more advertising dollars is the stadium in Charlotte really worth that much more for TV rights than playing this game in Clemson? No, because, and I don't understand how they don't see this. If you put it at the players' homes, it means more, which means the fans are going to be crazier. The atmosphere is going to be better. There's a reason why back in the early 2000s, when Maryland had a huge rivalry with Duke, they never put those games at a neutral site. Sure, maybe it could have made them more money, but it meant more on those campuses. So more butts are going to be in seats. And when you know it's at somebody's home, you're more likely to tune in. At least I am. So the answer for this is money, but I don't think the economics of this makes any sense. Yeah. And, and just to jump in on that point, I know, um, I mean, being in the SEC, being familiar with the SEC, I know that the Florida Georgia game, is always scheduled to be played in Jacksonville. Now that one, you that one drives me nuts I too. Well, I guarantee you though, both teams are close proximity. You bet your butt that those fans, those college students, are going to make the trip. To I mean, Gainesville is pretty close to Jacksonville. I mean, it's not thirty minutes away, but it's close enough where they can make the trip. And Jacksonville is the most northern city in Florida, so people from Georgia can make the trip down uh to Jacksonville and they've done that they've done that for years and years and it's been on the schedule and like you said I, I don't think it's something that teams should do early on if they want to make one game a neutral site okay do it but make don't make it the first week so but as far as uh we can definitely talk about that more uh <laughs> I, I guess uh as far as for predictions I'm taking JT Daniels and the Bulldogs um you know Clemson uh, you know, I don't think they're as as deep as a team like like an Alabama. And you know, this is a huge year for Georgia. You know, last year in the SEC championship game, uh, going head to head with um, um, you know Alabama, and or was it uh, the playoff? Things went. I think uh, things went together. But anyway, um, you know, if if Georgia wants to be a a contender and really compete with Alabama. 
this would be a great start. And I'm going to go with JT Daniels. He's going to have a big year. He's got, you know, good talent around him. And I'm looking for him to have a big year and, uh, you know, have them have a strong chance to, to be a strong contender in the SEC this year. Yeah, I'm going to throw this out there, too. With knowing how tight the, the college football playoff has been as a four-team race, um, why would either of these teams want to do this week one? Maybe week eight. Actually, but, so so doing it in week eight would actually be worse because notoriously the uh, the college football selection committee, if you lose a game earlier in the season and then you show for the rest of the year that you can run your slate, you're much more likely to get into the playoff or in previous years the BCS championship game because they'll be like, okay, well, over time you got better. So th- they do this early on in the season. So that way it, it almost becomes irrelevant in the eyes of the committee by the end of the season. This is why we're expanding the playoff, hopefully. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I, you know, I'll say this. You know, Georgia has a lot of injuries. Uh, they just lost Eric Gilbert for the season. Um, I believe he might be done at Georgia. Um, Pickens is hurt. Um, they've got uh, uh, Tyreek Smith is hurt on the back end. And then um, they lost tight end Darnell Washington with a foot injury. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Dabo and I'm not a huge fan of Clemson. So I would prefer to see Georgia win. Um, but I do think that Clemson kind of, uh, you know, wants to see the, uh, the doubters after Trevor Lawrence has, le- uh, has left. Um, I, see, I think that they want to silence them. And also they get uh, Justin Ross back, which uh, he was a receiver that was hurt um, two years ago with a really bad spinal injury. He's back and he's been tearing it up apparently in camp. So I think that the team's kind of going to, that's going to lift their spirits a bit. So I have Clemson winning. I'm also going to bookend it with this. If you think that DJ's last name is hard, look at Clemson's backup's last name. Chris, don't don't give me nightmares. Don't don't give me nightmares. Just amen. Blame Dabo. (laughs) No, I'm not going to blame anyone because once again, it's not on the kids for having those names. It's on us for not knowing how to pronounce them. So very true. Very true. So if anything, blame me for just not being smarter, but no. So real quick, just to wrap up the point I was making in my mind, there's only two games and only two that deserve a neutral site in the regular season. Army Navy for obvious reasons and Grambling versus Southern, also known as the Battle of the Bands or the Bayou Classic. The main reason why those two games deserve to be played on neutral sites is because, yes, there is football, and yes, there is bragging rights involved, but those games are about more than football. It's not, it's not as impactful in the football sense as these two games are. So those two, and those two alone, should be played in a neutral site. Everything else, sack up and play at home. Well, I'll, I'll disagree with you on that point, Sean. I do think uh, having the game in Jacksonville, Florida, Georgia, is a great tradition. It's been a tradition ever since I've been around. and. Uh, you know, I'm from Jacksonville. I'm going to vouch for that city and that organization. You know, Jacksonville is a great place and that's my hometown. Uh, I think it's great for the teams. Um, you know, it's it's a game late in their season. So it's it's been around for years. And, you know, I think it's a great way to, um, you know, connect new fans, too, because fans that live in, in Jacksonville, like I used to, you know, has a chance to see uh, teams that they root for. I mean, there's a lot of fans 
in Jacksonville that root for Georgia too, because Georgia is so close to Jacksonville. So that does make sense um, as far as the neutral site. And it, I mean, it, it's, they've done it every year and it's later in the season. So I don't see any issue with that. Uh, the teams are close by. Um, and like you said, it, it, to me, that one, uh, I don't have any issue with. And um, I've, I've been a proponent. I mean, it's SEC football being played in neutral site. Uh, it's a great atmosphere uh, for sure. So I'll give you this on that one. That was the, the one game out of all of them that I was considering that I ended up going against that I was sitting on the fence on. Because, first of all, I mean, it, it's got a great name to it. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party. <laughs> so, so that one, I'll give it that. And I end up going away from it solely for the reason why I said, like, Army, Navy, and Grambling, and Southern. It's about something other than football. Where with Florida and Georgia, I, I mean, you could say it's more about, like, the culture of the two states kind of having that rivalry. But in the end, for me, the, the, the line of delineation came with, you know, is this game still in the end about football? And in this case, it is. So I'm not going to sit here and say that you're wrong about it because uh, this is just a very opinionated thing for me. And that one, more than any other one, I did struggle with. And I was this close to putting it on the list of games that I think is okay on a neutral site. So just so you know, it, it wasn't like that one was an easy decision for me. And I'm also just not going to go against you because I know that's your hometown and you're never going to convince anyone that there's anything wrong with their hometown. That's like, you know, someone can throw as many statistics to me about Baltimore as they want. You're, you're never going to convince me that Baltimore is a bad city. It's my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that that's just that's <laughs> something where I think I'll choose my battles on that one. So yeah. let, let me uh, let, let me get to the game here. And I've got Georgia taking the win. Uh, I do think that it's going to be probably a high scoring affair because low key Georgia and Clemson, even though they're both, they put a lot of defensive talent in the NFL. They both put up a lot of points over the, the past few years. Uh, the big reason why I have Georgia winning this game, it, it comes down to two factors for me because there's talent across the board. There's, you know, players in every position that you're expecting to see at the next level. And you could look at certain position groups and say, oh, they have the edge here. Oh, this team has the edge there. To me, all those come out to be null and void. And even kind of at the quarterback position, because I don't think that JT Daniels is a game-breaking quarterback. I think he's really, really good. And I do think that DJ, I'm not going to try it again for this podcast, uh, does have the talent to be a game-breaker, but he doesn't have the experience. So I think that those two things kind of become a wash and I'm taking Georgia mostly because Kirby smart really needs this win. He has not had a truly marquee win in his career at Georgia. So he's going to have a greater sense of urgency, I believe than Clemson will, even though Dabo seems to know exactly what buttons to push and making his team always feel like the underdog. Yada, yada, yada. Dabo's a jerk. Um, but I think that Kirby Smart really needs this game. His players are going to know how badly he needs this game. They'll want this game just as badly because they're some people are considering them national title favorites. And if they lose this game, all of a sudden that goes out the window. So they've got a lot of motivation behind this game to really stake their claim as title contenders this year, or at the very least, SEC champs. So I'm taking them purely just based on motivation alone. So I know that's really not great 
as a reason to pick them. But hey, you know, sometimes you just go with your gut and my gut says Georgia. So give me Georgia. Give me Georgia to cover the spread, obviously. And then also give me the over, which is currently set at 51, which I think is dangerously low for this game. I mean, th- this game could easily be in the in the mid 30s for both teams. So I'd consider that to be an easy cover in my book. I, I don't know why they put this at 51. But all right, diatribe's done. Arguments aside, let's move on to the quote unquote last. Thanks, Adam, for adding another one. But last D1 game that we were planning to cover. We'll talk this. about that one in a minute, though, after we're done with the last matchup. <laughs> I get the feeling that you'll be talking about it more than we will, because you probably would know more about it than we do. <laughs> Not to give it away of what game that is, but uh, so the, the last game that we had set to cover is. Loki, a really good, like a really, really high-end matchup. It's just about teams who don't seem to be that way. But we've got LSU traveling to Cali to play UCLA. And this is a huge game because, you know, LSU, national brand, two years removed from a national title. Last year was a big flop for them. So they, they got to get back to national prominence, especially if Orgeron wants to keep his job. And you know he wants to keep his job because this is his dream job. And then you've got Chip Kelly who... Last week, I went against the grain. I was wrong. They boat raced Hawaii. I didn't trust him to have his system in place yet, but it looks like things are running pretty smooth over there. So, Adam, who you got taking this game? Well, I mean, if anything's clear, um, uh, SEC for sure. So, not picking against the SEC, LSU in this game. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's – Obviously, UCLA uh, with Chip Kelly has a good team, has a good system. Uh, but I think LSU, you know, coming up, you know, with being a dominant force a couple of years ago, uh, can build that back up. And, and it's definitely going to come in with a lot of strength. Uh, their defense is strong. So uh, definitely go with LSU in this one and um, beat UCLA. So uh, go Tigers. <laughs> Real quick, I have to ask, if Vanderbilt was in this game, would you pick against the SEC? I would pick okay. So if Vanderbilt was in it, I would UCLA. Yes. Okay, so at least you're somewhat reasonable. Chris, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, LSU as well, sticking in the SEC. Um, you know, I think last year it just completely unraveled for LSU. They lost some guys um, to the draft, and then um, between graduations, and they had some opt outs and injuries. Uh, it was just an absolute mess. But I will say. The main motivator for me picking LSU, because I do have to say, I think that Chip Kelly is putting all of his eggs in his basket for this game. UCLA is going to do everything they can to make this a competitive game, if not a big W for them. Um, But LSU started the year last year by losing to Mississippi State. um, And that kind of just sent everything spiraling right off the bat. Um, I do have some questions about LSU that I obviously will be answered. Number one being their starting quarterback. Um, Max Johnson, notably Brad Johnson, um, Super Bowl winning Brad Johnson's uh, son, uh, was kind of handed the, the, the starting reins because of an injury uh, in camp. So I'd be curious to see how that goes. You know, LSU has not always been known for their offense. Obviously, back in the Joe Burrow days, he kind of rewrote that history. So I'll be curious to see what happens, but I do have LSU winning quite easily. All right. Looks like I have to be the different one yet again. So mark this down as another group chat game, guys. If I win, I'll be in the group chat, let you know about it. 
Uh, I'm taking UCLA. And no, this is not an overreaction to last week. Okay, maybe it is. But a few factors that go into this. I mentioned earlier, you guys are going to notice I'm a little hypocritical about certain things. This is the game where I think Hurricane Ida plays a big role because LSU, super close to New Orleans, ton of ties around there. And also not as much continuity on this roster because of how many guys they put in the NFL. I mean, yes, they didn't have him last year, but Jamar Chase is gone. There's plenty of other guys who are going to be gone from that roster too, for various reasons. So, and some of them may have, you know, transferred because they weren't playing there. They may have transferred to uh, Lafayette and I just don't know it because, you know, Hey, I didn't do all that research, but I've got UCLA taking this because LSU, like their practices this week have got to be so difficult. And unlike the Raging Cajuns, I don't know if they have that senior leadership that can really kind of keep the group together when the seams start to bust. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I just, I don't think that that will happen. And I think UCLA, they looked good last week. I mean, really good. And for those who think like, oh, it's Hawaii, they're a doormat. They've got some top-tier talent for their uh, their conference there. I don't know if they're still in the WAC or the Mountain West. I think it's Mountain West now. But they've got, you know, skill groups, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that were considered, like, top one or two in their conference, and they still led up 44. So I've got UCLA taking this. Uh, I, I think that a factor that most people may not think about but definitely came back to play, Chip Kelly, notably, for the first time in years, wearing his visor. So clearly that tipped the scales. The visor is going to be about out to play again. And I think that UCLA takes this just because the other factor that comes into this, and this is going to sound weird to say, but, but stick with me on this. UCLA doesn't have a ton of fans that come to the games. I mean, last week their stadium was notably empty. And I think that if you're on LSU, what could get you to lock into a game is a raucous crowd, whether they're for or against you. But I think having a stadium that's going to be, it's probably still mostly empty. It's going to, it's just going to feel eerie to a certain degree because it's just like, oh, this is different than what we're used to. Like this crowd is so small, you know, even when they play like their cupcake home games, they usually get a good crowd because people are just competing for tickets down in Baton Rouge. So I think going against a team that doesn't have the most supportive of fan bases and a team that's a lot better than they'll probably think that they are. I've got UCLA in the upset. And I'm going to take the over just because I think so many wacky things can happen in this game between UCLA's fast paced and LSU, their, their brains may still be in Louisiana completely reasonably. So give me the over 65 on this one. And that will wrap up the games we were planning to talk about originally, but Adam, I've noticed an addition to our spreadsheet here, and I think I'll just let you take the reins on this one. I I happen to notice a certain Gator team has made its way onto our schedule. Yes. Going going against Florida Atlantic, so maybe not the most marquee game we could come up with, but tell me why the people should be paying attention to the Gators this weekend. Well, they got to be paying attention to Florida Gators because Emory Jones is going to be making his first career start uh, for the Gators, uh, Kyle Trask, who was, um, you know, their great uh, quarterback, you know, he had, you know, he was there and he had the great tight end to Kyle Pitts and they were phenomenal together. 
And so we lose, you know, Kyle Trask, a quarterback. We lose Kyle Pitts. Emily Jones making his first career start for the Gators. I'll be very interesting to see what he does at the quarterback position. And being that he has that dual ability um, as a runner, I'll be interesting to see how he's used as not only a passer, but as a runner as well. So the matchup, of course, I'm going to take Florida in this one. Uh, I say not a surprise, um, but I'm just, as far as the game itself, I'll be interested to see how Dan Mullen uses uh, Ebony Jones and really, you know, the combination of being uh, a runner and a passer, you know, obviously it's worked for Lamar Jackson. So if we can mold him into something like that, uh, this year, it'd be great to see, and you know, I'm looking forward to see what uh, he does on Saturday. All right. Well, way to justify that last-minute addition. Uh, I get the feeling <laughs> that if you decide you want to stick around for, for more podcasts, this is going to be a weekly thing, so I'll prepare myself to get to know the Gators real well this season. <laughs> uh, but you know what? In fairness, in fairness, Chris and I, before Adam had jumped onto the podcast team, we had discussed adding for us because, you know, our flavor of the week is always going to be a little bit of FCS action because we both went to an FCS school. That, that's how we met. So we decided this week that we were going to pick the, uh, the FCS game of the week. And we poured through the schedule. It, it would have been a little bit Homerish of us if we had taken our, our university Towson, <laughs> uh, especially because they're playing Morgan State. Not the most talented roster in the world. I mean, granted, in terms of SPF, FCS levels, SPF. Wow. Speaking of dyslexia earlier, Chris, now it's my turn. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's infectious. But this week we decided that the game of the week, for obvious reasons that most people may not realize, which I know is counterintuitive to the word obvious, but once you listen to it, you'll know why it's obvious is North Dakota State hosting the University of Albany. So, Chris, I'm going to let you take a quick lead on this one, and then I'll follow up what you got. Why is this the game of the week? North Dakota State, simple as that. Um, North Dakota State obviously has produced a lot of NFL talent, um, most notably Carson Wentz and uh, rookie this year, who will probably start at some point for the 49ers, Trey Lance. Um, I have North Dakota State winning this game. It's at the Fargo Dome, which is uh you know an fcs uh gem i guess that's the best way to say it um it's an interesting facility um they're gonna pack that place um i will say though i think it's gonna be uh, a close game uh mainly north dakota did not have a great spring season and i will be very curious to see how the spring season um transfers into this coming fall season um and, and I say this with a, with a bit of an asterisk, North Dakota State is a powerhouse every year. Um, and they were not able to hoist the trophy last spring. So it, it was a down year for them. Um, so just kind of curious to see uh, how they respond to that. Um, and don't want to uh, pick Albany, uh, Towson CAA rival. So simple as that. So I won't be picking Albany just on principle because it's North Dakota State. But... That's kind of like a, I do with the Alabama-Miami uh, game because to me, North Dakota State is the Alabama of Division One AA where it just seems like, you know, when it's when it's time for them to be rebuilding, they actually just reload and, and keep it moving. But I've learned a few things this offseason that have really played into my mind to say that 
in the end, if I were an odds maker for this game, I'd actually be really tempted to make it a pick them. So the reason why I'm picking North Dakota State is because they're at home and the Fargo Dome gets loud. I mean, that that is the show in town in North Dakota. So when that's what you got to do and it's not hockey season, because, you know, obviously they really enjoy their hockey. But when that's what you got, that's what you're going to. And y'all are going to go nuts. I mean, it, it, it actually looks like a, a, an NFL stadium in there and sounds like it, too. So I'm going to take them based on that. But you've got to replace Trey Lance, who people are like, well, we don't even know if Trey Lance is any good yet. But he just got drafted to the NFL after, you know, playing in D1AA. So clearly he's good. From what I understand, the reason why he wasn't at a big time program was because his high school kind of ran more of like an option based offense. So he didn't really get the chance to show off any skills that would you know, necessarily translate directly to the uh, to the collegiate level. So I think that's going to be major for them. Also, because as I've learned, you know, Trey Lance was expected to be doing a lot of the play calling on his own, which means he needed to have a certain mastery of the offense. And that means that whoever's coming in to replace him also needs to have a certain mastery of the offense. Now, a little bit of a rough spring season is a weird year all around. So I'm, I'm tempted to give him a little bit of a break for that. But that also gives his replacement a good chance to get to know the playbook a little bit better. It also means that there might have been some players who got hurt in the spring who haven't had the normal time that they need to recover. So I, I don't know if those factors play into it, especially when you counter that by saying that the Colonial Albany's conference didn't play last year. And off the top of my head, I don't know if Albany chose to have an independent season. I know James Madison did and Towson did not. So clearly not every team chose to go the same way, but I think this game could just be a toss-up, frankly, because I think it could be a really sloppy. You've got a team that potentially hasn't played in two years, and we've got you know a, a team that's got to reload a whole bunch of stuff that normally they don't have to because how do you replace an NFL talent like that when you're in North Dakota State? It wasn't easy after Carson Wentz, and it's not going to be after, easy after Trey Lance. So... Chris, do you know if Adam played or if, if Albany played last year? They played in the spring and they went one and three. Okay, that's not good. So then they're, they're both teams are on the uh, the same level then, where you know you've got all those factors from playing in the spring, and now this is the first game of your season. So wipe out what I said about the two years thing. Go me. Uh, but you know it's this could still be a huge toss up, and this is huge because you've got the juggernaut of the FCS who might get taken down to start the season. And also, I'm hoping that if they win this game, that they show enough that when they come to Baltimore on September 18th to play Towson, that Towson has enough on film to pull off the upset. So Chris and I will be paying a lot of attention to this game, at least compared to what we may normally have in the past. Uh, That's going to be the FCS game of the week. We're going to wrap up the podcast here. Uh, For anyone who listened last week, no, I am not ducking our picks from last week, even though Chris got a little lucky and came out ahead on the picks. He uh, went, what was it like six and or seven and three? Yeah. You went seven, seven and, three. and three, seven and three. And for betting purposes, I ran the numbers. You're up 0.16 units. So if you were a gambling man, you'd come out in the profit. I was on the other side. I went five and five. Unfortunately, I'm down 2.86 units. I will be keeping track of this season. 
And Chris, I'm coming for first place. So just so everyone knows, I'm not ducking it. Just had a rough first week because I picked Hawaii. Not going to make that mistake again. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Thanks, Adam, for joining for your first podcast. Uh, Chris, thanks again, as always. And we will see you guys again next time.